All right, I'm done messing around. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 is where we are this morning. And we have the topic of God's deliverance, his deliverance, his rescue, his salvation in our lives. So this is where we are in Matthew. Going verse by verse, but we're in the midst of Jesus teaching us what our communication to our Father in heaven is to look like in its subject matter as an outline. But in this, as as you turn to Matthew 6, verse 9, is Jesus is telling us, in this manner, this is how we're to pray. And again, your prayer, this is your communication to God. And the emphasis of Jesus' teaching throughout this is just to have our attention on him and not to be going through some religious ritual, some word system, some rote prayer, some you know, long-winded paragraphs to God, but just having sincere, honest conversations with God in regards to the needs of your life. And Jesus has communicated to us in this teaching that before you even initiate a conversation with God about anything that you need, any pressures that you have in your mind in your life, he's fully aware. He knows you. He sees. He's not ignorant. He's not blind. And that gets into this this beginning of this conversation that you're communicating to your father, that you're communicating to your creator. But the emphasis is in regards to his name, that his name would be hallowed. So in this prayer, there's, there's these imperative words, and hallowed is the first imperative. So that your focus, as you engage in a relationship with God, that the command coming from Jesus is that you would have an attitude, a heart, a mind, words, and actions that are seeking to have God's name distinct, unique, separate, devoted, sanctified in your life. As we just did a dedication, the whole idea that there's a, there's a devotion, there's a, there's a separateness. So as you address God, you're, you're to run to him with this realization that he's, there's none other like him. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. As we talk about his power, his ability to create, his knowledge, his will, that's the next portion. Lord, we want your kingdom to come. I recognize that, Lord, I have my ideas of how I want my life to be ruled, the decisions that I want to make, the decisions that other people influence in me. So our governments, our households, our our culture, the places where we work, there's all these different competing kingdoms. And when we go running to God, we're begging, God, I need you to be my king over my mind, over my heart. Recognize that you're in control. I'm not in control of my own life. I don't know what's coming tomorrow. You do. My spouse isn't in control of me. My employers are not in control of me. The government is not in control of me. You're my sovereign. And I want your kingdom today. And I want your kingdom to come and rule over all the kingdoms. This end times eschatological idea that Jesus is going to come and reign. And when this this subject matter about his kingdom, it's not just your kingdom, Lord, but I want your will. Because you have purposes. You created for a reason. You've declared what your plans and purposes are for us to know and be aware of. So this is this, uh, we'll, we'll press into this idea a little bit more today, but your will be done, not my own. Because our will, our desire, our wants are often in competition and contrast with what God may be doing in our life. So there's this humble declaration and request, God, I need your kingdom. 
and I need, to be, I need your will to be performed in my life. And as you do so, Lord, you know my needs. I need my daily bread. So I'm asking that you would give to me, grant to me everything that I need today. We need clothes today. We need shelter today. We need the heat to kick on. It's starting to feel warmer, at least from my position right now. Lord, we have needs. And I'm looking to you to provide for all of my needs exceedingly beyond and above. I would even dream of asking you for, Lord. I don't need my greeds fulfilled, but I know, Lord, that you love me and that you're going to bless me. So I'm looking to you to provide as you see fit according to your will. Last week, we really pressed into this whole idea of forgiveness. God, there is such power and such freedom in the truth and the reality that you have forgiven me of all of my sins. My gross sins, my darkness, my pride, my arrogance, my words, my actions. Lord, all of these things that I have done, not only to offend other people, but in offense to you that you define as crimes, you've forgiven me. And it melts my heart. And that forgiveness and that freedom that I have, it's, it's this... It's this position of peace and joy and rejoicing. It's what enables me to know him. It's what enables me to serve him. It's what enables me to, again, to be free in mind and in this life, to seek none other than him and that that whole idea of the power of his forgiveness. And because he's forgiven me, Lord, I want nothing. I want to give no one power in my own soul this cage of being unforgiving towards anybody else in regards to what I would see is their brokenness, their sin against me. So, Lord, just as you've forgiven me, I'm going to forgive other people. And now we get to this final section of the prayer. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we sit in this idea of temptation this morning. This is a very large subject throughout the Bible. And we can pretty much turn to any page in the Bible and address it from one direction or the other. So this is going to be our outline this morning. going to give some definitions to what temptation is. But the emphasis on this, it's not looking at here's all the ways that we struggle. Here's all the ways that we fight. Here's all the things that, you know, that we're standing against and fighting against in our lives. The emphasis becomes on God's deliverance. Because in this, the language is, do not lead us into temptation. God, we're asking that you don't bring us into this position of temptation. We're going to get into James a little bit later, but James very clearly declares that God does not tempt you and I to sin. However, God clearly does test us. He brings a lot of specific tests into our life, and this is the focus of the test. So a temptation is coming from a source that wants you to fail. A test is coming from a source that wants to test your knowledge, your understanding, your obedience, your faith, ultimately, and to prove who God is in your life as you image him back and forth in relationship and as you image him to other people. So we'll look at this from both directions, uh, being tempted by the devil, being tempted by the world, being tempted by our flesh, and then at the same time being tested by God. 
But this prayer to God of, God, I'm asking that you don't bring me, that you don't bring us into a position of temptation. So, Lord, don't put us in a position where the devil's going to tempt us is one of the ideas. Another is asking God, God, don't test me like Job, right? Don't bring me into this position of a test. Don't test me like Abraham. For Christmas, we sat in Abraham's test as he was commanded by God to sacrifice his son and that whole story. God, don't bring me into a test like that. It's a legitimate prayer. At the same time, it's kind of a, it can be a fearful prayer, if that makes sense. Because God, I don't want to have hardship in my life because I like to be comfortable. I like to be provided for. I like to be on the mountaintop. Um, I like the creature comforts of life, such as heat right now that we have in this building. There's just a lot of things that we, as we seek God, we're seeking to be released from pressure, from a trial, from a test. And then there's this other side of this prayer of God, you know what? I really do want you to put me through the test because it's in that test, Lord, that I let go of all of my other ideas. I let go of my pride, my arrogance, my strength. It puts me in a position where I really do realize I'm nothing. I don't have a leg to stand on. I can't fight. I can't do this on my own. I don't have a clue what the right decision is here, Lord. You know but in this, Lord, there's a, there's a transformation process. You're, you're taking out of this broken man ideas, behaviors that just, they don't belong in my relationship with you. So in that kind of testing, Lord, like if you need me to be transformed into the image of your son, which I know that I do, then Lord, whatever test you need to take me through, your will be done. And that's a, that can feel like a dangerous prayer because it's like, uh-oh, here comes the test. Here comes the challenge. Here comes the, here comes, oh, hell just broke loose in my life kind of scenario. But that's not who our God is. The only test that he's going to bring into my life and into your life is, are those tests to refine you, to break out of you what doesn't belong there to help you get to know him, and it's awesome. And that's where this whole idea of deliverance comes from. And this is where the emphasis of this text is, is we're praying for God to rescue us, not necessarily out of the circumstance, but the prayer is to rescue us from the evil one. And the evil one here, this is the word uh, where we get pornography from. Uh, poneros is the Greek word. This is evil in the Greek that's associated with malevolence. This is an evil that wants to corrupt you, that wants to bring about destruction in your life and take you down. There's a Greek word that's just, that's bad, that's evil, that's wicked, and that's just a definition. But this is rescue me, deliver me from this corrupting power and influence in my life. And this corrupting power and influence comes from a lot of different directions. Corruption can come from with your own soul, your own minds, your own decisions, your own thought processes. This is a spiritual battle that we're going to talk about in a minute. There are many corrupting ideas that come from religion, that come from politics. Again, that come from all of these different social spheres in our life of 
ideas, their thoughts, their, their, their meditations that don't have any ground of truth, but it's sitting in all of these man idea things that are usually, sor- usually sourced from demonically influenced ideas in rebellion against God. So this is what we're going to do. I want you to hold your place here because we're going to come back to Matthew 6. But I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And in this letter to the church that's in Ephesus, we get a, a glimpse of the reality of what's going on. And Paul is encouraging the, uh, the Ephesian church about what your behavior looks like, how we need to walk in unity as believers in Jesus Christ. Not division, but in unity in regards to his truth. We need to walk in love. We need to walk in wisdom. And as he's addressing all of these subject matters, he gets to Ephesians 6, verse 10, where he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord, And in the power of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And here's this foundation. When it comes to temptation, here's what the root is. The test and the temptation is directly in regards to your relationship with God. So if you know Genesis 3, when the devil... The serpent, Satan, comes and tempts Adam and Eve. The language is, who's God? Did God really say? There's there's this confusion in regards to the nature and character of God and the word of God. There's a twisting of it. There's a perversion of it is the idea. So there's this challenge to your faith and trust in who God is and what he has said. And then what are you going to do with that thought that's in your brain? This is the goal of the devil. He's coming into your life, and he's lying to you about the nature and character of God. He's lying to you about what God's word actually says to put you into a position where you're going to make the choice to obey or disobey God. In the midst of this trial and this test from God, God is looking for obedience, and he's seeking to bring about obedience in your relationship with him. The devil is seeking to bring about disobedience in your life. And what Paul's addressing for the Ephesian church is, I want you all to understand that this isn't isn't just a thoughts of your own mind. We have an enemy of our soul that has been there from the very beginning. This enemy hates God. I don't understand it. We're told that his root of sin is pride, exalting his self and how God created. But there's a, I'm flabbergasted, so to say, that here is this creature that would come into the presence of God that we see in the book of Job and challenge God to his face. It's, it's, I don't get it. We're told in Revelation chapter 20 that when Jesus comes, that this creature is going to be bound for a thousand years. And in the binding of this creature, that's going to enable Jesus to rule and reign and all of his authority and all of his peace for a thousand years 
on this earth. But the end of that thousand years, he's going to be this, this creature is going to be released again to go and deceive, to go and lie. And in that power that this creature has, humanity is once again going to rebel against the creator, Jesus. It's it's an astounding testimony and fact that is coming in the future. So I bring all that up to say that's what Paul is addressing is the power of this creature and a class of creatures that's with him. So this, we need to stand and be strong and have power in the Lord's might. This is all a power dynamic in our life. So the word for strong is the power word for that you are able, that you have the ability to do something, uh, that we're strong in the Lord, in the power, another word for power, and this is controlling power of his might, another word for power, which means to be capable So all of this is power language, that our only defense and our only offense is to stand in God, in his nature, his character, and who he is. Because the devil and this class of creatures that are defined as spirits that we'll get to in a second, they're more powerful than we are. God's given us these senses to smell, to see, to hear, to interact with the environment that he's placed us in. But there is this whole spiritual realm that the only understanding that we have is a few glimpses of this realm out of the word of God. And as the Holy Spirit enables us to understand what's going on in our life. Like where are these thoughts coming from? Is this a demonic influence? Is just this the thoughts of my insane heart? Is this source somewhere in this world? But what Paul is addressing and why, the, why we're camping on this and why it's so important is that we are looking to the Lord and to the Lord only for his strength, for his authority, for his control, for his power, that we would put off all the, all the power that we think we have and that we would truly be clothed in the armor of God, which ultimately all of this is a description of Jesus, that we be clothed in the righteousness of our almighty God that we would be able, again, a power word, that we'd be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the strategies of the devil. And then there's this language. We don't wrestle. We're not fighting against other human beings. You're not fighting against yourself. We're fighting against these, it says, principalities and powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age. And again, these are all power words also. Uh, the word for principalities, it means to rule against these powers. There's, there's, there's these spiritual authorities against these world rulers is what that word for rulers of the darkness of this age. There's this whole spiritual realm that we really have very little understanding of. And you have absolutely no power to fight other than just standing in the Lord. And this, is, this gets back into the reality of the temptations that we all encounter every day. I'm not going to spend time getting into the depth and the details of all the different ways that we're tempted. Because again, in its root, the temptation that comes your way is the question, will you believe that God is yes or no? Do you believe that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him? Yes or no. And that idea, do you believe that God is there as your creator 
as your protector, as your provider in a relationship with you? Do you really believe that he is? Do you really believe that he has given you direction for your life? And now that question, will you obey him, yes or no? That's all temptation is. And often we all have to confess, I believe, I believe that he is, I believe that he's a rewarder, I'm in full agreement with this text, and I will still stand in my stupidity and say, God, I'm going to do it my way anyway. And we're all guilty of the same thing. And this is where we press into God's grace, his mercy, his patience, his transforming power in our souls. But when we give these principalities and powers, power, control, authority, when we obey another master, all kinds of consequences come into our life. Our relationship with our creator is definitely obstructed. It requires confession, humility, cleansing, that, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Like These are all real things. Or we can continue to pursue a road of rebellion against God. God, I don't want to do what you say because it makes me uncomfortable. I just don't want to. I don't like it. I don't agree with it. I have different ideas from you. We have all of these justifications. And it's one of these realities that if God could give us the spiritual sense to see him, that every single one of us would be immediately on the floor in humility, begging for his grace and his mercy, which he freely offers to us through his son. This is one of these ideas. We don't have to be fearful of these spiritual creatures that God has created because you don't have to give them power. You don't have to listen. But this is a challenge that we all process through every single day, and that's why we are told to be strong in the Lord, put on his armor. You're not wrestling against yourself. You're not wrestling against this person that's driving you nuts. There is this spiritual battle that is taking place against these spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Goes through it in all of this description. The emphasis is not on the armor. All of the armor in this description is pointing to Jesus. He is truth. He is righteousness. He is the gospel of peace. He is the source of our faith. He is our salvation. He is Father, Son, Spirit, our incredible God. He has given to us his word. And then Paul addresses there in verse 18, again, the subject matter of prayer. We are to be praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Incredible Definition. Now, I want you to turn back to Matthew. So we began this in the prayer in Matthew 6, but I want you to jump back to Matthew 4. We're not going to go through it verse by verse for sure, 
but it feeds into this idea of the prayer that Jesus is teaching and giving us this instruction. As we seek God, God, I'm asking that you would not bring me, that you would not lead me into this point of temptation and trial and testing. Recognizing and knowing, Lord, that temptation is going to be in my life, the trials and the testings are going to be there, and you are going to be the source of many of those trials and tests. But you're not seeking my destruction. You're seeking to bring about my transformation into your image. That is your goal. So therefore, Lord, deliver me from the evil one, from the twists, from the lies, from all that the devil is and speaks. And in Matthew 4, we have Jesus, it says, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the reason why we're coming back to this is Jesus is giving us the instruction of the prayer of Almighty God, Holy Spirit, do not lead me into temptation. And it's coming on the tail end of the testimony in his life where he was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. So this is where the the challenge of the language is and what is Jesus really getting at? The emphasis, the imperative of the language is looking to God to be your rescue. He is your savior. He is salvation. He is your fortress. He is your deliverance. He is your rescue out of danger. So that is the emphasis and the point of the prayer that he is telling us to communicate to our God every day because we all encounter the different temptations every day. So here Jesus was led by the Spirit to specifically be tempted. It says when he fasted for 40 days, next week we're going to address fasting. So we'll save that for next week. But afterward, he was hungry. And this is when he has been fasting. In fasting, this is, it, it encompasses the idea of prayer and communication. And why I'm bringing that up and why we're coming back to this, again, is Jesus is teaching us to pray and what we ought to pray and how we ought to pray. We already have the example of his prayer and communication that that's what enabled him and empowered him to have victory in the midst of the lies that the devil brought to him. And this is one of these, it's a challenging portion of scripture because it is impossible for God to sin. When Jesus is man in the flesh, it's impossible for Jesus to sin. He never did sin. But at the same time, there's the other side of this, this testimony. The temptation was real. He is weak. At the same time, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. At the same time, he has been empowered by God in his communication by God. That when the devil comes and tests him and is essentially, what kind of son of God are you, is the challenge and the test. He gives Jesus a few different twists and zingers and temptations to, are you going to remain faith, a faithfully obedient son, yes or no? And we watch this story, we've already encountered it, where Jesus is successful, of course. But he leads us in success every single day also. The emphasis of, of the pull out and why to go back to this text is you can sit in the Lord's Prayer and you can come back and you can throw lines of thought directly into the temptations that Satan is attempting to stumble Jesus in. And where Jesus' success is, it's one in his relationship with the Father, of course. 
He has been anointed and empowered by God. He is having ongoing conversation with God so that when the devil comes into his life and twists and turns and says, are you going to be obedient or disobedient? Jesus successfully answers with the word of God. So here we have the word of God, Jesus answering with the word of God. And it's an awesome example and really the only example that we have to follow of what it means to be strong in his power day in and day out as we, as we encounter our, all of our different temptations. So now I want you to turn to Matthew 26 because this idea of prayer starts to play out in another scenario in Matthew. And a lot of these ideas, again, they're all to come at this idea of temptation and deliverance from a variety of different angles. So that as we walk out of here this morning, you have passages to go and meditate in further for those areas in your life where you know that you're weak. You have your excuses, you have your justifications, you have your falls and your failures and your mistakes and you're repetitiously going back to God, seeking his cleansing, seeking his forgiveness. This morning, these are equipping passages. So here in Matthew 26, 36, this is the Garden of Gethsemane passage. Should be familiar to most of you. Jesus came with them, the disciples, to the place, to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, so James and John. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And we can press into the subject matter of why Jesus is sorrowful and deeply distressed. The trial and the test. He is going to be obedient to the point of death. He is going to not just encounter betrayal, but a scourging and crucifixion, all that physical pain. At the same time, the sins of the world are going to be laid on him, and the Almighty Father is going to forsake the Almighty Son. So, this is why Jesus is deeply distressed and sorrowful. A little bit different than our context of trials and temptations. But I want you to just put, put you and whatever you have go, that goes on in your life, in your soul, that makes you sad. That overwhelms you, that depresses you, that discourages you. You're in a pit. There's no way out. Here's the prayer. He says, Jesus says to Peter, James, and John, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. We don't just keep these things private. We take it to our brothers and sisters that we love and that we trust, that love the Lord, that love us. Because sometimes life really hurts. Jesus is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. And his request is not just a request, they are imperative commands. Stay here and watch with me. And the whole idea of watching is praying. 
He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed and said, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Again, we can sit in the depth of that prayer with Jesus, or you can just sit in the depth of this prayer between you with Jesus as a mediator in your own sorrows, in your own struggles. I don't like this. And I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want this trial in my life. I am uncomfortable. I am mad. I'm lashing out. I'm going to fall again. Go through your list of thoughts. Again, here's here's the humble declaration of faith. Not my will, Lord. I want this to be taken out of my life, but you're allowing it for a reason, so not my will be done, let your will be done. Give me the wisdom I need. Give me the words I need, the words for my own soul, the words that I may need to speak to others. But Lord, if it's possible, Take me out of this circumstance. If it's not, let your will be done. Let your plans and your purposes be accomplished in my soul, ultimately, Lord, because I want to know you and I want to see you and I want to be transformed into your image. And whatever work that you have me to do beyond that, Lord, use my life to bring you glory. Use my life in the life of other people so that they'll know you. And that's exactly what Jesus presses into. Then Jesus comes back to Peter, James, and John. And he finds them sleeping. He looks at Peter. What? Could you not watch with me for one hour, man? You ever feel let down by a friend? I need you to pray for me. I need you to love me. I don't need you to come down hard on me. I just, I, just need to, I just need you to walk alongside me. I don't need you to be Job's friends and give me all the different reasons and psychoanalyze me and stuff. I, I just need somebody that's going to encourage me to keep aiming my life at the Lord. And here Jesus comes to his followers who love him and have left all to follow him. And they've demonstrated in so many different ways. They're worn out. It's been a long day. They've just had a big feast meal. It's dark. It's cool. Campfires are going. They're pulled aside. They started praying. They started watching. But then they started snoring. Jesus wakes them up. He says, watch and pray. And the purpose, the exhortation that Jesus is giving, even in the midst of his sorrow and his depression and just the, the, uh, the sadness that he has going on in himself in the moment, he's there to encourage his followers. I need you to watch and pray so that you don't enter into temptation. It's the same thing that Jesus taught them to pray multiple times as they have been following them, following him. 
I have given you this instruction, and here you are. You're on this threshold of temptation. The devil is active. The devil is coming. He's already filled the betrayer. Judas has already gone to the priests, and he's gathering a mob to come and arrest Jesus. This is all coming in the immediate future. Jesus, you need to watch right now, and you need to have a conversation with God because you need God's strength. Because in a moment, there is coming a betrayal and confusion and doubt that is just going to floor you. And the devil wants to sift you. The devil wants to destroy you. He hates me and he hates you. Boys, you need to wake up and you need to watch and you need to pray so that you don't fall victim to the twist that's coming your direction. And what happens? Jesus goes and prays again. And the boys fall asleep again. They're tired. And he gives us this testimony. The Spirit's willing. Flesh is weak sometimes. And this is why victory is found in his strength, in his power. Lord, whether I'm awake or whether I'm asleep, whether I'm, I can concentrate and I'm watching and I'm prayerful in this moment, like confession, like as I woke up this morning, it, it took me over an hour just to really engage in a conversation with God as I meditated, meditating on what I've already studied, what we're going to communicate today. It took my brain forever just to be able to lock into the conversation with God because my brain's going over here and it's going over there. Sometimes it just happens. But Lord, I'm looking to you to be faithful always. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians, the Corinthian church is an awesome church, a hyper-Pentecostal, charismatic church. They've got all these incredible gifts and miracles. All this incredible spiritual stuff is going on in this congregation. But they're fleshing out in so many different ways. Paul's rebuking and admonishing and encouraging. Chapter 10, this is just jumping into the middle of the context. He's pointing to the Old Testament. We could go sit in all these examples. We're not, but I want you to know this passage because it's important when it comes to temptation. Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be without knowledge that all our fathers uh, were under the cloud. So this, this is all imagery out of Exodus. This cloud that's revealing the presence of God in their midst all passed through the sea, that parting of the Red Sea. All were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. All this immersion imagery that's going on. All ate the same spiritual food, the manna, for 40 years. All of them drank the same spiritual drink. Again, this is, this is, there's physical things that were going on as you go and read the context. Real life that real people were living through. And then there's all this spiritual background that's going on. Not only was it physical food, it's spiritual food. Not only physical water, but spiritual drink. They drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. The weird imagery out of the Old Testament. But this is the rock of Horeb where Moses struck the rock, was supposed to speak to it the second time. Water came gushing out of this rock as a provision. It's all this imagery in regards to who God is. But most of them, with most of them, God was not well pleased. And their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why? Major ideas because unbelief. It says, now these things became our examples 
to the intent that we should not lust after, not desire evil things as they also lusted. So here's all the examples. They do not become an idolater pursuing a false god and a false narrative about God, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. All of their immorality, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. So here's a specific sin. Here's a specific judgment example. Nor let us tempt Christ. This whole idea of temptation. You can't tempt God to sin, but you can attempt to put God to the test in your life. Are you really the Christ? Are you really God? Are you really who you say you are? Do not let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain. Boy, are we good at complaining, especially when the heaters don't work. As some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as, as examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't think you stand in your own power and your own might. Pay attention. Take heed. You only stand in the Lord. If you think that you're standing on your own, you are going to fall. But here's this encouragement. No temptation has overtaken you except as is common to man, which this means that whatever your list of temptations are, whatever you fight against, all you have to do is look around in the room. You're not alone. The tests that you go through, your weaknesses, your failures, it is the exact same across this room. We are all commonly tempted as human beings, but our attention is always to be on God because God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, to endure it. God is faithful. You have a promise from God right here that any test and any temptation that comes into your life, God has promised to you to give you the power to stand, not on your own, not in independence, but in full dependence on him. Now, we're out of time. I would encourage you to read James chapter 1 because you really can't talk about this subject matter without that instruction there too. Very encouraging in James 1. But we spent this whole time on temptation, just giving a lot of definitions, places for you to go back and study. But I want to talk about deliverance now before we close. And this is the whole idea of deliverance and rescue. Romans 7, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, because you have Paul just laying it out flat, that we all have a war within our own souls that we're all fighting. I find myself doing those things that I don't want to do, Blake, you fool. I find myself not doing those things that I do want to do, Blake, you fool. Oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to save me? Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? And then there's this praise and declaration of thanking God for Jesus Christ. 
And Romans 8 turns its attention to this instruction of here's what it looks like to walk in a spiritual relationship with God. Not to walk in the flesh, fulfilling the, the lust of the flesh, but here's how we walk in the spirit. Incredible encouragement. Here's some other verses of encouragement in regards to deliverance. 2 Corinthians 1.10, past, present, and future deliverance. I love this verse. God has delivered us from so great a death. He does deliver us today in whom we trust that he shall deliver us in the future. Great promise there. Colossians 1.13, God has delivered us from the power of darkness and he's conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. First Thessalonians 1.10 says, we are waiting for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul's encouragement to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 and 2 Timothy 4. Paul's giving Timothy the testimony. Here's all these circumstances. And he says, Timothy, out of them all, the Lord has delivered me. And then he says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. And that's where Jesus ends this prayer in Matthew. Worship team, come on up. I'm going to read David's prayer out of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. This is a declaration of his glory, his power, his majesty. David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. These are David's words, end of his life, handing it over to Solomon. Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all Amen. Let's worship.